0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Redeemer, whether you're in this room or in our greenhouse or visiting with us online in some, uh, some way, shape, or form. It is good to be, uh, to be with you. And uh, we're going to open the scriptures today in, uh, in John chapter 1. John chapter one, I know we were there last week, we're doing it again this week because there's a lot to unpack in this chapter. Um, I will give a bit of a caveat, a warning perhaps uh, as we start the, uh, the message today. I, was, I went to bed a little late last night and, um, after my Tar Heels suffered a bit of a loss and so I uh, had to stay up for the end of the game and then you know, it took a little while to go to, to go to sleep and so about 1230 I was in bed um, trying to go to sleep and my phone rings. And at that time of night, it's on Do Not Disturb, right? So there's only a few people who can get through at 1230 at night. And one of those people is Alan Hawkins. And I pick up my phone, and, and Alan said, hey, sorry, sorry to bother you. He said, uh, I'm not feeling real well. I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. Could you take care of that for me? Um, so... First thing I did was take Alan off of the exempt list on my Do Not Disturb on my phone, uh, and then I got out of bed and, uh, and began to prepare for the sermon today. Got back in bed at four this morning, um, ready for the day. So, so if there's anything that is incoherent, slightly heretical, um, or just completely off-topic, Forgive me um, this uh, this morning. So, John chapter one. I want I want to wrestle with you this morning with uh, with John chapter one, and particularly um, the the theme of the incarnation that we have been processing through in various ways over the course of Christmas these uh, these last uh, these last few weeks. Because it is still Christmas, as as Dodd told us earlier. We're not. It's okay to still have your Christmas tree up and your Christmas lights on. That is okay. It is still the season of Christmas until Epiphany. Which is uh, which is um, next uh, next week next week yeah next week so um, so it is still Christmas we want to we want to talk a little bit more about the incarnation so let's let's jump in here because um, John chapter one verse one is an extremely important verse in the Bible we start to talk here about how God became man how God became man and so. So I, I want you to focus with me today. This is a big and complicated concept uh, for us to wrestle with. It's not necessarily going to be easy. So, so stick with me. Get your coffee, your Red Bull, Jeritol, whatever it is that you take um, to kind of focus and get ready. Let's go. John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God. And so the other Gospels all start with either John the Baptist and the story of John the Baptist or with the birth of Jesus. And John, in his gospel, goes back much further to show that Jesus has actually always existed, not just when he was born. He's always existed. He's given us an eternal view. And he uses this term um, that is translated in our English Bible as the word. Uh, In the Greek, that's what this was originally written in. It's Greek, is logos, l o. G-O-S, Lagos. So let me, let me open up this word for us a little more. In the beginning was the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. So every culture in the world asks the same basic questions. We see order in creation. We see patterns that don't seem to be random. We, we experience emotion. We, we feel, and all of these things point towards a creator. We plant seeds and crops grow. How does that happen? Where did that come from? We rub two sticks together and, uh, and a fire starts. Who did that? Who put that potential into sticks? We see the girl that we love on the, uh, on the beach at sunset and the wind blows her hair and something twists inside of our guts, right? What, where's that coming from? There's something more, something eminent, something transcendent. There's joy, there's anger. There's got to be something more. But how does this happen and what does it mean and what is behind all of this? These are questions that have been asked from the beginning of time. And there are two. There are two ways of thinking in the cultures that John is addressing here in his gospel. The first is the Greek way of thinking. This is the Romans who were there. Um, their culture was based on Greek culture, and so Greek culture um, said that the logos was the rational order that held everything together. Okay, they said there was a um, there was something empirical, like a, a system. So when you think logical. Logos, right, or ology, the study of something, it comes from the, same, from the same word. They would use this phrase, um, logoi spermaticoi, and it's, it's the seeds from which everything came into being, the creative force that sort of ordered everything. This is a Greek way of, of thinking through things, and, and not entirely wrong by any means. But there's also the Hebrew way of thinking the Hebrews that were shaped by what we call the Old Testament, and more of our focus today. And they had a high view of the concept of the word, or in Hebrew, Imrah. So John here, at the beginning of his gospel, is making reference to the book of Genesis, Genesis. They, we have titles for the books like Genesis. They would refer to the books um, by, the, by the words that they began with. And so Genesis chapter one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when someone from, uh, when a Hebrew would have read John chapter one, verse one, and they hear in the beginning, they immediately start thinking about Genesis and the creation of the world. In the beginning, God. And here John says, in the beginning was the word. And so we see in Genesis chapter one that God created the world by speaking. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. He used words. He spoke it into being. He's he is speaking it into existence. We see this, this idea of God's God's uh, connection with us through word, even as the story moves further, and the and the people of God, the Israelites, received the law from God. How did they receive the law of how they should live, and 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 what is good, and what is bad, and what is right, and what is wrong? Well, well, God used His finger to carve on tablets His law or His word. So the Hebrews had this high high perspective on on the word, and, and they see it as part of creation. They see it as a part of guidance, not only in how did this life come about, but also how should we live this life. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 32. He says this, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So the word is a very life. It's it's where creation comes from, and it's how we go about the work of living. We see the word prevalent throughout the the prophets as well, as as the prophets come to Israel and say, you've rejected the word of God, and that there's rule and there's judgment in the word, and you've rejected the rule and judgment of God. Jeremiah 8 talks about how the birds know when to migrate because of the created order, the, the, the righteous rule of God that he has built into created order, and they know that that's what they should do, and that's why... They live, but you have rejected the word of God. And so, what wisdom do you have? So the Hebrews see God interacting with his people through his word. The word is even shown as being healing. In Psalm 107, verse 20, it says this very blatantly: He sent forth his word and healed them. So we see again this this creative force of God, this effort of God, this connection with God, with his creation through the word. You have the creator, God, relating to his creation, and the logos is the bridge. But it doesn't just stop there. This is where it starts to get even more complicated. John tells us that the logos, the word, was with God and was God. So this isn't just something separate. It's not that there's God and creation and then some other some other entity that's built in between the two of them. Um, but that that bridge is a part of God himself. The word is the presence of God that we see in creation. And we see in guidance. And we see in righteousness and rule and justice. And we see in healing. Look what he says in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he's saying here that the very life that we have is from the working of God. What, why does our heart beat? Because God made it beat. But why does it continue to beat? Why is it sustained? Well, because God sustains it. What what started our earth spinning? Well, God did in his creation through the word. Well, how does it keep spinning? Because God is sustaining it. What causes us to love, to think? Well, God, the one who created us and, and put things in order. But then he makes a comment on the state of the world. He says, that the results of this order of God, this, this creative effort of God, this, this intervention of God, is light and life. But that not everything is light and life. That there is darkness around it. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's the creative working and order of God that's bringing about light and life. And then there's the twisted efforts of sin and its results. Of darkness and death. The results of God's order, the results of God's way, the, rego- the results of God's word is healing and health and wholeness. The results of sin are war, sickness, discord. Oprah Winfrey. Throughout all time, when we gazed into the darkness over the campfires in front of our straw huts to now when we look out over our lighted screens on our couches, we've we've been in the same place. We've been in a messed up world, wondering what we're doing here, looking for meaning and purpose, looking for how to live this life and to lessen the fear that's around us. For all time. So skip down just a little bit because this is where, if this is the plight of humankind, this is where the amazing aspect of what Christmas is and what what incarnation is about. Verse 14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this, this is the bombshell from John, because people would, have, Hebrews would have been tracking so far, alright, like I get it, God created things, um, that's, that's great, God, God created the order of things, he's sustaining things, Is just like, I'm, get, I'm getting all that, that's not new. But then John says that the word became flesh, that the creator stepped in into creation, that Jesus is the embodiment of God, the creative and sustaining force of God with flesh. The, the Bible uses the term Emmanuel. God is with us. Think of the word incarnation, right? The root of that word um, carne, it's meat, right? It's, it's, it's like if you buy chili con carne, right? You buy chili with meat. This is, this is Jesus is the word with meat. That's what the incarnation is about. This idea of, of God relating with his people through the word. Well, now the word has become flesh. The creator is here in the midst of his creation, And if you find an object somewhere and don't know what it's for, or you look at an art piece and wonder at its meaning, well, wouldn't the primary source to be able to answer your questions be the one who created it? What's this for? Why is this do that? Why did you you write those lyrics? Why did you paint that that way? Why did you make this machine and how does it work? And now the creator of life himself is one of us. That we may go to him. And ask him, why did you do this? Why did you create this this way? How is it supposed to work? How is it supposed to be beautiful? We long to meet creators. Right? If I told you that I had bought tickets for you to go see your favorite band, you'd be very excited. Then if I told you we had backstage passes, where you could actually talk with them, how much more excitement and joy and elation would there be The idea of the logos, the idea of the word being made flesh, the idea of the incarnation is that you get the backstage pass to be able to meet the creator and to discuss with him and to talk with him. This helps us to understand the, the reason for the virgin birth as well. If you've ever wondered, why is it so important that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus? Because Jesus was not a creation like us. He's the creator in human embodiment. So he came into creation through creation, the womb of a woman. But he's not creation like us. He's the creator who has put on human form. So look. I know, stick with me, stick with me, because I know this is a complicated thing that we're talking about here, the creator stepping into creation. We're talking about God becoming man. This is called the hypostatic union, okay, that Jesus is both God and man at the same time, and that's a very difficult thing to grasp, but but fundamentally important for who we are as Christians. Perhaps we can look at this this way as you're trying to think through this and wrap your mind around it. As we're thinking about Jesus being both God and man at the same time, one way to think about it is is what happens if we deny either the divinity or the humanity of Jesus? What happens if we take one of them away? Then he's either holy God or or holy human. Dorothy Sayers, one of my favorite authors, said it this way, If Christ was only man, then he's entirely irrelevant to any thought about God. In other words, he's he's just another one of us. But if he's only God, then he's entirely irrelevant to any experience of real human life. But in Jesus, you have the two coming together in one. This is one of the most common errors of any kind of non-Christian cults, is is that they they don't understand the tension of the two natures. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses focus on Jesus' humanity and ignore his divinity. And they repeatedly quote verses dealing with Jesus as a man and try to set him against scriptures that that shows he's actually divine as well. On the other hand, Christian scientists do the reverse and only talk about his divinity and don't talk about his humanity. The tension of, of our faith is that the creator stepped into creation. And so why is this so important? What does this mean? Why, why all of this? Why all of this theological stuff that we've talked about? Why Why is this important? Why, how does this make any impact on you in your life? Well, here's what this allows Jesus to do. What makes him unique in this, okay? One is that Jesus can then reveal God. If he is both God and man, then that means he can reveal to man who God is. Look at verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he, is, he has made him known. So in other words, Jesus, if you want to know who God is, well, Jesus can show you. He's, he, is, he is God who can reveal God to you. These days, it's, it's fashionable to be spiritual, to just be, to believe in something. You hear phrases a lot of times where people will say something like, I just try to send my good vibes out into the universe. Uh, that, that there's just, I, I'm spiritual. I believe something is going on, but but how can you really know? I mean, how can you really know who God is? How can we really know what he's like? How can, I mean, how can any human know? And on one hand, you're right. How could we know if God is, is more powerful um, and, uh, and transcendent and bigger than us, bigger than, than we could ever understand? How could we know? Unless God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And he has. He's come to be one of us. Jesus said things like anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so the way that Jesus reveals God tells us about who God is and and, and what he's like. Jesus reveals God as personal, not just some spiritual force out in the universe that you send out good vibes and hopefully you um, you get good vibes in return. Um, that that he reveals God as, as personal, that the creator is not just some force, that he's come to be one of us. And not only can he just give facts about who God is, but he's come to share with us in our suffering. And so he knows suffering, and he knows love, and he knows laughter, and he knows sadness, and he knows pain, and he knows pleasure. He can relate. And so if he can relate to us, we can actually know God and relate to to God. This is, this is the miraculous thing about who Jesus is. If you really get down to, uh, to the miracle of Jesus, God himself walking on earth. Let me, let me ask you this question. Think about it. This is a profound question if you really think about it and spend some time with it. If you're sitting at dinner with Jesus and you tell a joke, would Jesus laugh? Like the God of the universe, who's, come, who's become one of us, uh, the creator of the universe, who, is, who has stepped into creation, you tell a joke at dinner, would he laugh? I think the answer is yes, if it's funny. Like I, th- I think that's the answer. Is if you're funny, he laughs at you because he is, he is a part of creation in a way of being able to know what humor is. One of the basic fundamental bits of us as, uh, as human beings and the human experience of laughing together, Jesus would have laughed with his disciples. The creator God of all the cosmos, sitting at dinner, laughing at a joke. Do you see how it brings together this, the bigness of God into the intimacy of who Jesus is? So Jesus then can reveal God, but this is also, the incarnation is also important because it also puts him in the place, in the unique place, to be able to reconcile the two parties of God and man. Because sin is a big deal, and we've been separated from God, and we can't forgive ourselves, and God can't let us get away with everything because that would be unjust, and he's a just God. So in Jesus, we then have mankind that needs to be forgiven and God who has the ability to forgive in the person of Jesus. Anselm of Canterbury, he's an 11th century theologian. He said this, if God becomes man or becomes incarnate, then we have the coming together of a forgiving God and a human nature that needs to be forgiven. A God with the ability to pay the satisfaction and a human nature that has the obligation to pay. It's only because Jesus is God and man that this happens. See, this is why the incarnation starts to become mind-blowing. That Christmas is more than just a time of giving presents. It's a time of honoring and celebrating when God stepped into our world to reveal himself to us and to reconcile us to him. That Jesus came to reorder everything. And why is he the one that can do it? Well, because he created everything. He's the only one who can fix everything. He's the only one who can straighten out what is broken in creation because he is the one who created it to begin with, and now the creator has become flesh. There is one other constant theme in the scripture that we need to talk about regarding the word. is that we must choose to accept it. Look at verse 10. It says this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who he did, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A difficult truth that goes against a lot of the sort of false gospel that is taught in, in our culture, in our world, is that we are not all children of God. That's a hard truth and, and, and even startling because we've heard it so much the opposite way. But the truth of the scripture says that, that we're not all children of God because we've rejected that title through our sin. Adam and Eve rejected the created order to follow the twisted word of Satan. The Israelite people chose to reject the word of God to follow other teachings and other gods. When the prophets came to bring the people back, they did not listen, and they rejected and killed them. And Jesus himself came to restore us in line with our creator, and we rejected and killed him too. But... It says here, to all who did receive him, in verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the creator has entered into the world. The one who gave us life to begin with has now come to recreate us as well. Again, the only one who is qualified to do this is Jesus himself. The only one who can make us one of his children is the one who created the idea of children to begin with. That Jesus entered into the world to reveal God to us, to reconcile us to him. And for us who will believe and accept him, will become children of God. Born again by the creator who gave birth to them the first time. This is why Jesus came. This is why the word becoming flesh is so important. That in the word becoming flesh, we see the fulfillment of everything that the, that the scripture has talked to us about that the word does. We see creation and recreation in Jesus. We see guidance, just as in the Old Testament, the law was given to bring guidance. We see Jesus sending his Holy Spirit and, and, and giving us a new law in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We see justice and righteousness coming from Jesus. Are you seeking justice in this world? Well, talk to the one who created what justice is, and that's Jesus. And we see in Jesus bringing, we see Jesus bringing healing, the word that heals. We see Him heal people in the gospel, and we see Him heal people even today, both physically and from sin. So what does this mean then for us? How do we bring this all together? Well, there's a question of how you respond. If God truly, if this is true, if God has really entered into our world in this way, then God is much closer than we could ever have thought. He's much more intimate, more personal, more loving, more intentional than perhaps we had ever believed. And he's giving us an offer to accept this word, to believe in repentance and belief to become one of his children who lives in this new life. If that's already a reality for you, what you're being invited into through these words then is is an invitation to grow in awe of Jesus. The one who's the greatest artist, the greatest musician, the greatest scientist, the greatest creator of all. To grow in awe of all that Jesus has done, has made, and continues to sustain. You're also... Being challenged to grow in your knowledge of your creator as well. If Jesus is revealing God and we want to know God, then, then let us look into not only the word made flesh, but the word written as he has left it here in this, this book that is living and active in the scripture. That we base our lives on it. That we find our guidance and our direction and our justice in it. So we are encouraged to grow in our knowledge of our creator in this day too. Particularly poignant. For the day and age and time that we live in, the word heals and Jesus has come to heal. And so that you can find your healing for your heart, your body, your soul in the one who created your heart and body and soul and the one who walked with us in heart and body and soul, Jesus Christ. The word has been made flesh and has dwelt among us and in him is the light Of life. Will you know him? Will you believe in him? Will you be in awe of him? Will you serve him. This day. Pray with me. Lord the truth. About who you are. And all you have done is. uh, Is astounding. It's. It's sometimes more than, um, than we can even comprehend. And we've, we've scratched the surface these last couple weeks on the, the miracle of your incarnation. And Lord, help us this day as a church to worship you for your incarnation, to worship you for becoming flesh and dwelling among us, to, to worship you for, for how much you loved us that you would enter into this broken world in which we live in order to bring hope and healing. Let us grow in our awe of you. Let us grow in our knowledge of you, in our desire to conform our lives and the lives of all in this world to the truth and the the justice and the goodness of your word. And Lord, let us find our healing in you. For all who are hearing these words today, who are, who are worried and anxious, who are sick, who are afraid. Lord, let them see the creation that is around them and let it point them to the creator who made it. And let them see Jesus revealing that creator as good and holy and pure and eminently here. You are with us, Lord Jesus. Give us eyes to see you and a heart to respond to you in your name. Amen.